0: You know, I grew up in Europe, so I came here in 1993. Joined Fear Factory in December, and in February we were on tour with Sepultura, opening up for Sepultura.
1: Thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Focusrite Pro Podcast. This is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. My name is Dan Hughley, and on the show today, I'm joined by veteran musician Christian Olday Wolvers. Christian's credits include playing bass for Fear Factory, Power Flow, Violence, and countless others. We'll discuss trying to turn Mr. X to the Z exhibit into a metal artist, having your influencers become your peers, hunting vinyl records while on the road, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the Focusrite Pro Podcast. You are a guitar player, a bass player, a vocalist, and you've been in some of my favorite bands, including Fear Factory, Power Flow, Violence, Archaea, and a lot more. I think I recently even saw on your Instagram that you are in the studio with Exhibit, and you played with the likes of Korn, Zach Wild, and Mike Borden, and all of this has taken you around the world. What first brought you to work with sound?
0: I think it all dates back to, uh, well, hi then, nice speaking with you on this podcast. Yeah, nice
1: speaking with you as well.
0: I think it really all dates back to me picking up records in my mom's closet next to her record player and seeing artists like Elvis and the platters and, you know, that black disc, putting that thing on a record player and putting that needle on it and then hearing sound come through the speakers when you're like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. It's pretty magical. And, you know, this, this magic happens. How does sound go through that little, tiny little needle? into those speakers, and it sounds like that. What is happening? You know, it's so magical when you're... And this is 1976, 1977, something like that. And that's really... I started getting passion for music, and I would say The Police were my first favorite band that I got into, and it just started developing as a teen. I started getting a passion for music and audio, and to a point where... You know, I wanted to pick up a guitar because I think skateboarding was something that really got me into getting fanatic about certain bands and that skate rock that was surrounded with skateboarding. And um, I remember uh, one of the, I remember Steve Caballero, the skateboarder, he's a professional skateboarder still today for Paul Peralta for the Bones Brigade. He was playing as a professional skateboarder. He was playing guitar in a, in a band as well called the Faction. And I remember when I was young, that song, Skate and Destroy, had a big impact on on my musical adventure. And uh, I wanted to play an instrument. And I tried to play an instrument. I was, I was not really that good at it. It went into the closet really quick. And as I got you know, more towards like 15, 16, I think I picked it back up. And then I started getting together with a couple of high school friends and friends from uh, the local city where I grew up in Antwerp, Belgium. And we started jamming together, learning chords, and I just started falling in love with music. And one thing I always had a big passion for was playing upright bass. And that dated back towards like 1980, 81, when the Stray Cats came out with Runaway Boys. And I remember that upright bass. And I used to like it because my mom's Elvis records had upright bass on it, and Mm-hmm. Bill Black was Elvis's bass player. He would slap this big black tuxedo bass with a white border, and mm-hmm. there was this music style in Europe that was getting very popular in the in the early eighties, and especially in, in the UK, and it was called neo rockabilly. So these were artists that would take classic rockabilly from the United States, like Elvis and other uh, rockabilly artists, and turn it into like a thing called neo rockabilly and Psychabilly, which was more like a punk rock version of Rockabilly. And that yeah. was something that was really yeah. explored. And I had some friends in Antwerp that was also in the skating scene, this group of skateboard friends that we had. Everybody was into different music. It was like a melting pot of different styles, hip-hop, Rockabilly, Psychabilly, metal, hardcore. We had some, some older guys in that group that were already DJs, and they were DJing new wave and the early Belgian new wave in a lot of the clubs in the local scene so there was that style of music like front 242 and the neon judgment and there was these early 80s electric artists that were doing very electronic music with Roger Lynn machines and you know the first, the very first NPCs and and oh, yeah. when MIDI was first becoming a thing <laughs> So there was a lot of different styles mm-hmm. of music in this in this circle of skateboard friends that I had. So I was introduced to a lot of different styles, and it was one of those things like you know I wanted to be involved with everything, and I guess it's mm-hmm. when you're so young your attention span is a lot shorter. So you're jumping around for oh I like that song, but I like this music too. I want to I want to be a punk rocker, and then you and then you start getting into playing guitar, and it turns into you start appreciating trash metal, and then. I became a trash metal artist so it, it all kind of like you know when i was young i didn't like a lot of different styles of music and it was just very difficult just to stick with one thing you know i liked it all and yeah i wasn't just into one particular style it was a little bit of a melting pot and that was because of skateboarding there was all these different people in, in this group of skateboarding friends that like different styles of music so that was really how i got into the passion for music it was actually because being a being a skateboarder the music was such a part of yeah. that whole culture it was like colors like how you're a painter everybody paints but everybody yeah. paints a lot of different styles and different artwork it's so the variety is so wide
1: i can relate to a lot of what you just said there you know i first of all with upright bass i love the sound of an upright bass i love watching people play upright bass i had the luxury of having an upright bass player play on a, an EP that I was on. And that was just my favorite session just because I just loved the tones and the sounds. Yeah, I got a few sitting right here. <laughs>
0: nice. You can probably see it. The listeners can't see it, but see, you can see it. Oh man,
1: you have that. There it is. The tuxedo bass. You've got yeah, it. I got one. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, I just love the sound that comes out of it. You get the, the low frequencies that you get. I, I feel like you can't get that with uh, an electric bass. And then some other stuff, you know, vinyl is something that I just absolutely love. And to tie that in, um, I, I love listening to vinyl, but I only buy things that I really like. And to kind of tie in with your uh, what you said about different musics and skateboarding, my record collection is all over the place. I, I don't have one specific genre. I have things that sound good to me. That's when I buy music these days. You know, we get everything on Spotify with a subscription. We can ha- we have access to everything. But the stuff that I buy is stuff that I really like. And I have from hip-hop to metal to just good classic rock and kind of everything in between. So I, I feel like we kind of had that same upbringing where for a long time I felt like I didn't have an identity because I identified with so many different cultures and groups music-wise. And that really made me who I am today. And I I don't even care anymore. I love everything. You know, I listen to, you know, I was a big fan of Fear Factory when you guys uh, came out. And then, you know, like I mentioned, Exhibit, I'm an Exhibit fan as well. And then, you know, your work that you do with Powerflow is fantastic. And it's all different. And it's all music that I like. And I feel like that's my identity is all of these different types of music. And I guess uh, you did talk about some NPCs and things like that. Music that's performed is really what I'm into, you know, live, live bands like hip hop music with live guitars and live bass and live drums. That's, I'm really into that. You mentioned a little bit, but who, who were and are some of your main influences?
0: Well, I think in the different styles of music, for instance, in hip hop, some of the bands that an artist that really had a an impact on me because, you know, vocally in hip hop, everybody's voice has a, has a tonality to it. And the way somebody, spits and drops their rhymes there's a tonality to their it's like their instrument the way they sound and like you were saying like you know sure. for instance exhibit i think he has one of the most powerful voices in that in that genre to me he is like he a metal guy you know because he sounds deep he yeah it's a lot of power there's a lot of weight to his voice it works great over yeah. over metal yeah he's really cool he's got a big personality
1: he does i i I got to meet him several years ago,
0: and uh, yeah, he was just a, a great guy. I've been talking to him about dropping a, a really cool metal song, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, Raising Against the Machine. No, no, I'm going to drop your real metal track. <laughs> not, you know, Raising Against the Machine is not so metal. Oh, you know, like the really hard nah, shit, nah. you know? Yeah, it's going to be hard. Looking at something more like body
1: count or something like that? Or even
0: harder than that, you know? I really I really, nice. really picture him being on top of something really hard.
1: He's got that grit in his voice. He and does. He's got, he's got that power in his voice. I, I think Absolutely. I think you two working together on that. I can't wait to hear it, actually.
0: Cypress Hill was another big one, and, oh, yeah, and NWA sure. probably. I yep. appreciate Public Enemy, but I was not the biggest fan. But I did appreciate Chuck D's voice, and the same thing kind of mm-hmm. like Exhibit. There was a lot of power in his voice. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I grew up on, on a lot of punk and and um, and hardcore music as well, like bands like uh, Sick of It All, you know, Leeway, Biohazard, all those bands, and the cro all oh. coming out of New York. Yeah all those bands uh, had a huge influence on me the thing about hardcore and punk rock it was always very honest and there was no thrills you know there, there was there was no facades hardcore is just hardcore you don't look like and that was the one thing about metal that it th- there was some metal that i really liked and some metal that i never really got into which was the dungeons and dragons metal You know when people have wear all leather and and the spikes and the makeup and I wasn't so much into that, but I wasn't into like a lot of heavy stuff. Which, like, there's some death metal, like Napalm Death and bands like that. that I was really into. Yep. And really, it's just you know all these different influences really shaped. I mean, it's like it's something I said for years and years. Music is like food, and it's something you need every day, but you don't need pasta every day. You know, you get bored. (laughs) So yeah you, you need something else you want Chinese and then you want Italian and then you want you know Japanese food and and then Indian food so you you want to you know change it up all the time and it's the same thing with music you yeah. can't listen to the same thing every day all day Yeah. yeah. You now that you said something earlier about colors you know you can't paint
1: with one color you nope. know and and that's the same thing with your with your influences
0: You can draw one color.
1: You can. Yeah yeah. But painting with <laughs> one color? No. That I mean People got to be you, like
0: That's kind of boring. It feels like it needs something more. (laughs) You have to be very talented to make that work. No, only do black on white. That's all you're getting. (laughs) So you were born in Belgium. Uh, What brought you to the U.S.? The passion to explore music. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tour. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to go tour around the country. I think when I got a first taste of being on the road in Europe with American bands... That's what really did it. You know, that, that when you waking up in a different city every day and it starts all over. Set up. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Going to the venue, get breakfast, shower, that routine, you know. And then the, the, the afternoon starts coming, the excitement starts happening. You get sound check done, people mm-hmm. start showing up. And then if you tour a lot and you go over all over the world all the time, you start having friends all over the world and then they show yep. up, and then it's like the perfect summer vacation.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you
0: catch up with your friends, right? Catch up with friends, and make new friends. Every day you're in a different city, cities that you might you probably never been to. You know, you're like, oh, fuck, this is the first time I'm in Prague. Wow, this is Prague. <laughs> and then the next day you're in Munich, and the next day <laughs> after that you're in Sweden. You know, it's like, yeah. it's pretty amazing, and... You know, I grew up in Europe, so I came here in 1993, in November 93, joined Fear Factory in December, and in February we were on tour with Sepultura, wow. opening up for Sepultura in the U.S.
1: Had you already been uh, in in communication with the people from Fear Factory no, before you moved over? I were, got it just within one month. You know, I got yeah, I got
0: introduced. I bumped into wow. Biohazard, which they were recording in uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I knew those guys from meeting them in Europe. And uh, they're kind of like, What are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I'm just on vacation. They're like, What? I'm like, What are you guys doing here? You guys from New York. I'm like, oh, we're recording here. I'm like, Oh, wow. So they started asking me, Oh, come by the studio, you know, let's hang out. So I came by and then one day the singer was like, you know what? Fear fact, looking for a bass player. You should be in that band. You'd be perfect. Yeah. He goes, Here's a bass, go try out. <laughs> so that's how it happened. He sent me to the studio, Fear Factor Studio, and then I auditioned, and that's how I got the gig.
1: Wow. Wow. That's that's like the uh, the dream right there. You know, one month in uh, in America on vacation, and three months later, four months later, you're
0: on you're on tour. Um I'm on tour with opening up for <laughs> Sepultura, which is another band that I really liked, you know. Oh yeah. And yeah. You're on tour and you're hanging out with those guys backstage, like you're becoming family and friends with them. You know, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's surreal. It's like going from the crowd to the stage type of thing, right? Very quickly, and it just too, kind of flips. Case. You know, yeah, it's like if you all of a sudden you get cast for an, for an audition for a, an acting part, and that acting part all of a sudden takes you on the roller coaster of one movie after another. Yeah, like that. You know, and
1: and it seems like that's exactly how your career went because uh you know uh, that first tour was that was that a, a u.s tour, or a US tour? tour.
0: How, yeah it's funny like all the people who i grew up listening to admiring as artists and musicians their music their art i pretty much know most of them and <laughs> it's a long list yeah, that, that, that's there's a lot of people that's great when you get there's a lot of bands you know
1: when you're when your um your influences become your
0: peers that's got to be a great feeling it's funny because there's people that I grew up on, like, almost idolizing mm-hmm. that I am close friends with today that I speak with on, like, you're calling your brother or your one of your family members. Yeah. And I never <laughs> really told them, you know, they don't right. really know. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, I forgot to tell you that I'm, you're I, lucky I'm not stalking I, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm having one of those
1: moments right now, I got, I've got to say. Nah, um, a... And, I, and I, even, I even said, I know um, when we first uh, started talking, I, I realized... Something kind of funny, and I, I remembered something from an old album that I was into back when Limp Biscuit was a thing, and uh, they talked about Christian and Dino from, yeah. from Fear Factory, and and then there you are on that track, which that, that was a, a, that
0: was a funny experience. Me and Dino yeah. went to the studio, and Limp Biscuit was recording up in uh, Indigo Ranch, which is in Malibu, up in the mountains, yep. where Ross Robinson was doing corn, and uh, he also did. Sepultura there and a bunch of other bands. It's a legendary studio from the 60s and the 70s. I heard it's gone and it got sold and all the equipment and I think the owner passed away and then everything changed. Richard Kaplan was his name. It just popped into my head. Awesome place. I had a lot of fun going up there and I learned a lot of things just sitting in there and watching things and how those guys were working in the studio and it was that that work environment, that studio was that very barn. All the doors are open. You know, it's not yeah. like recording in the city. In the city, everything is closed doors. Yep. You're in the building. Oh, you got to press a yeah. code to get in. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's a completely different recording environment. But recording like in the mountains like that, you're on a ranch. You know, everything, mm-hmm. the barn is open. You can be recording with the doors open. Oh, yeah. The only reason the way you got to close the doors, is because you're hearing the birds and the wildlife in the background yep. coming into the microphone, <laughs> you know?
1: Sometimes that works though, depending on on what you're doing. You know, I've I've heard of some very unique recording techniques. Like Daniel Lenoir always removed the glass between the live room and the control room when, in his studios. Wow! So he could be kind of in the same room as as his artists, and and you know, the place that you're in really makes a big difference. And yeah, the Indigo Ranch that is legendary. And yeah, I think Bob that was the Bob Dylan, all he...
0: these people like were in there, and yeah. th- a lot of the people that are very spiritual and mm-hmm. had a zen vibe and oh, i want to be in the mountains that's the only way i need to feel the energy to record and you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> those type of artists they love that studio because it's one of those studios when night falls and you look up in the sky you're on top of that mountain so you don't mm-hmm. have so many the city lights are more dim below you so when you're on that mountain you're looking at the sky you're seeing every star in the sky and yeah. it's it's a really cool place um, yeah i
1: you know, being in Los Angeles myself, there's not a lot of times when you can look up and actually see stars because of all the light that we have. But but luckily, you know, we have Malibu right there. We have our, our mountains that I like to escape to to go see those stars. Mm-hmm. And we're fortunate for, for some of those things in Los Angeles. I think but Jonathan Davis up- from
0: Corn even played backpipes in those mountains and they set up some yeah. mics outside and it was kind of reflecting uh-huh. in different directions. And I guess they had maybe like some 30, 50 foot microphone cables and they went to put some microphones out and uh and recorded some stuff like that
1: oh wow yeah that that place was that was pretty awesome so we talked about you being a musician but you're also a producer and engineer do you want to talk about some of the projects that you've worked on
0: i um yeah i basically i didn't really get into producing just kind of okay I'm, I'm a musician and now i'm going to start getting into producing the, the way i got into producing was my passion for hip-hop at that point too growing up with MCs and people who are DJs and in the hip-hop scene because of skateboarding later on some of my friends they became beat makers and they were MCs and one of my good friends was a world champion you know scratch artist like when they do those world championships for scratching so I kind call was DMC or something like that or so I had a lot of friends in that that influenced me as well and you know sometimes they would ask me hey why don't you come play bass on one of my tracks come play some guitar or something like that so i started playing a lot of hip-hop songs nice and that led into me getting especially with dj Muggs. he was one of oh, the yeah? first ones to really pull me into a studio and wanted me to play bass and guitar on some of his tracks and i always kept seeing him work the keyboard working the mpc and then Somebody else who was a big influence on me very early on was Alchemist. Alchemist was a mm, prodigy yeah. of DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I used to see Alchemist work the keyboard and he would just sit there and in five minutes he would press play and he would he'd would be banging your head to a beat that he just kinda like sucked out of his thumb in like five <laughs> minutes. And that thing was banging. And I'm like, holy moly. And that art that you just sit there and, you know, going through records and That's, I started falling in love with, I would go on tour, get in the hotel room, get the yellow pages out. This is in the mid nineties, get the yellow pages out, pull out the record store, you know, get a cab, go to the record stores and go hunting in bins for, for old records. And by the time I would get off tour in the U S tour, I would have like five crates of records underneath the bus with all these dope ass records that i would find on the road and i would take that advantage from being on tour to go record hunting in all these different cities in different shops and that was during the 90s when you know record digging was was a big thing still especially in hip-hop and i mean before you knew it i had like five thousand records at my house that i would go dig through and, and find samples and and I was basically, even though I was a metal artist, and go on tour, with opening up for Metallica and Slayer and Megadeth and all those bands. As soon as I came, or even on tour, I started taking my hip-hop equipment and mentality on tour and make beats in the back of the bus. And on days off, I would meet wow. up with hip-hop artists on the road on days off yeah, and, and give them some beats in here and there. And Alchemist was one of them. I would stop in... Detroit and meet up with Eminem's crew and the D12 guys and Mm -hmm. some of their producers and DJs and go hang out with them and they're like and I'm having long hair look like a metal guy but I was making beats and they were kind of trip out on me like wait a minute (laughs) you're playing the some Michigan auditorium 5,000 people are you playing there tomorrow no and they would trip on me see me sing there (laughs) and pulling out an NPC I got some beats for you And they're like, wait a minute! It's like, wait a minute! Imagine if Tom Araya from Slayer walks in, sits down, Mm -hmm. and pulls out an NPC and started playing you some beats that he made. You'd be like, what (laughs) the hell? That's kind of the vibe, you know, because they knew I was like a metal artist. But then, yeah, I I never forget walking into a studio one time, working with a hip hop artist, and um, he looks at me and he goes, "See that guy right there?" There was some guy walking through the studio, and he looked like the plumber. Like, I thought mm-hmm. he was there to fix the plumbing. That's what he looked like. He looks yeah. like the guy from Rooters, you know? Yeah. And he goes, See that guy? He makes a lot of Ice Cube's beats. I'm like, Get out of here. That guy? <laughs> Dude, he looked nothing like a producer. He looked like yeah. the plumber. And I'm like, You got to be kidding. You're making, you're like, You're, you're lying. And you got, No, that really, he made all those beats, famous Ice Cube beats and all these songs. I'm like, What? So you never right. know what they, you think producers look like, you know, the hip hop, hip hop producers from the 90s is a different thing, like Just Blaze and all those guys and, yeah, and you know, Jelly Roll, Battle Cat. Yeah, they're all, mm-hmm. you know, they look like MCs, but once in a while, you see some producers out there and you don't know what they look like and they don't look like musicians at all. They look like someone yeah. that works at Home Depot. And they're making some of the most amazing beats. <laughs> I have a I have a couple of coworkers that I can fully relate to.
1: I have one one in particular. He's a, a fantastic guitar player, and we have something uh, Novation. One one of our products is a circuit. Yeah. So at, at the beginning of all of the the COVID stuff that we're all still living in, we did a, a circuit jam with all of our product specialists, and you know, there's this one guy. He's a guitar player. Guitar player. That's all I you know I pigeonhole him. That's that's who he is. And then. He comes out with this circuit and makes this beat that I'm just like, wait, you were given these samples five minutes ago and you were able to, within seconds, live on, uh, live on a live stream, able to put together this amazing hip hop track. I was like, wow, I fully underestimated this guy. And, <laughs> and and like you said, you know, he could work at home Depot or, you know, he could be a guitar center manager or something like yeah.
0: that. Uh, <laughs> you never know.
1: But yeah, you, you never know. And, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that's incredible. Along with all of the, the music stuff that you do, um, you had a show on, on Dash Radio. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, that was around 2016, 2017. One of my friends was given the opportunity to start a, uh, a whole radio platform, and it was called <laughs> uh, Los Anarchy Radio at the time on Dash Radio. And it was an entire platform with like probably like seven or eight shows. There was a collage of friends of ours and we all started our own shows. Some people were doing, were teamed up with two people on one show, and some people had like four people talking hosts, and, but I was just kind of like a one solo thing doing it here at my house. And since everything was pre-recorded, I'd never done anything like radio shows or podcasts or anything like that. But being on radio, especially when you're not talking to somebody live or to somebody else, you're talking to yourself you kind of talk it to an audience that's not really there and you kind of have to like think it's there yep. which is completely different and yeah. listening back to your voice in the beginning I was just like I couldn't I was like oh this is so horrible I couldn't listen to myself I had to learn like how to dial myself in learn how to speak slowly put on that radio voice <laughs> there's an art to it there is and there I never really knew is. that but there definitely is a there's an art to it and howard stern is a, probably the best example of that you know and yeah how to talk into a mic and hey you get to get really low and and that you know gets low and sexy and slow and but it works you know when you talk it slower it just and and the advantage that i had being a engineer and a producer i'm sitting on tons of huge libraries of you know all the sound effects that they use in movies and for cartoons and for foley and all these you know everything for for warner brothers and i have these huge libraries of sounds so even if i'm talking about something or explaining a situation i have all these sound effects i can throw in all the time sure. so i would sit there and actually go through the whole interview or go through the whole bit that i'm, I'm talking about or explaining something or talking about something and throw all these amazing sound effects car chases anything you can if we were talking mm-hmm. about you know somebody sneezing we would have like somebody sneezing in the background but not just like a funny sneeze like you know, like something yeah. really funny out of a movie or something i had access to all sneeze. these cool sounds and that made the show so much better because now you're listening back and with all the sound effects and sound bites it's just hilarious and I just really went to town with it because it was not live. When you have to do them mm-hmm. live, it's pretty hard. But if you're doing a pre-recorded show and you can go in and just edit the heck out of the whole show to make For it sure. almost like like, uh, like, an adventure, really, with the sounds. And yeah. and you could put music behind it. And I was doing everything. And I was playing music as well. And it was really amazing. When you, and I would spend eight hours editing this show before I would put it out. Wow. And everybody else on the platform was like, oh, my God, how do you do that? I'm almost sitting there eight hours editing. Where'd you get all those sounds? Like, you know, it was really helpful. And and it's fun to do. And But, you know, these platforms, they keep changing. And, you know, then Dash was having a hard time. And, you know, they were promising, uh, oh, we're going to get sponsorship money for your shows and this and that. And it never came. And then when you're putting, you know, 30 hours a week into building a show and you're not getting, you know, you can't pay your bills from it. You might have to shift your energy towards <laughs> other uh hopefully right. more productive
1: that's uh kind of like with podcasting when people first start out they don't realize how difficult and how much work goes into podcasting a lot of work goes into and in it. you know a lot of people think you know they're going to be they're going to put out their first episode and they're going to be Joe Rogan
0: <laughs> or you know something like and that and they're going to get but, 100 million from uh, Spotify oh
1: yeah i heard that you know it might be controversial but i heard that deal is illegal actually I really heard that yeah I heard since it's a because of the length of that deal you're only allowed to offer an exclusive your product exclusively to one platform for one year and I think you had a three or five year contract so I think the FCC stepped in on that but we'll see we'll see what we'll happens they'll
0: figure out a way to make it legit they will
1: they'll they'll put something in there they'll say okay it's a one year contract that we will renew after one year or something yeah yeah they'll they'll with that much it's money like going an automatic around,
0: renewal like your credit card
1: <laughs> <laughs> like today, I just got billed for something, and I I go, what the heck was that that I forgot that I signed up for? Isn't that annoying? We're,
0: it is, yeah. Isn't I, it I've... annoying when you get when you sign up for something and it takes you eight hours of your time to find the website, find the unsubscribe button to get out of that? Mm-hmm. You know they don't make it easy for you. Signing so, up, no, they make it so easy. Oh, yeah. But They'll take your money. They'll give you a free month. Everything. But, but then, try to get like, like I've had situations where I had to call my credit card company and cancel my yeah. card. Yep. And all these companies know, are like, oh, we're trying to bill you. We need a new card. And I'm just like, get out of here. <laughs> Ignore. <laughs>
1: I've, there is one that, uh, in particular, that we may be thinking of the same thing here. I have a feeling. I don't want to mention it. But trying to cancel it, you had to make a phone call. And they said, "Well, what if we give you three free months?" And it's like, "No, I don't want the three free months because I know you're going to bill me, and I'm going to forget in three months." They said, "Well, don't you miss this and this and this?" And I was like, "Nope, I don't. Just cancel." And and then, "Well, let me have you talk to my manager." I'm like, "No, just let it be easy." But what, anyway, kind of went up? A... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with with everything that you do, musician, vocalist, you know, in many many bands your radio show that you just talked about recording bands, recording bands, producing bands and everything that you do in audio. How do you stay on the cutting edge of technology?
0: Well, I'm one of those guys who will have a rig. Let's say your rig is up and running with whatever tools you have your, your interface and your mixing board and whatever you have. And I will use that until the wheels fall off. Some people constantly update when everything comes, if something updates and something comes out new, people change. And and I come from, I guess, a school of producers that taught me where, you know, if it works, don't take any chains out, just leave it until, you know, I, st- I, I still know people that run ADAT <laughs> probably, you know. Yeah. But unless your computer is actually giving you the finger yeah. and telling you like, you know, you can't update, To the next operating system, you have to go buy a new computer, F you. Then I will go buy a new computer, but I will use that (laughs) thing until the wheels fall off. And that's how I've been learning how to drive a car. You know, it's like when they tell you to go change your tires at 30,000 miles, yeah, that might be a little bit safer. But if you live in California and it doesn't really rain all the time, you don't have to deal with ice on the roads. And, you know, you can drive those wheels until they literally peel off the well the, the rims and then go buy a new tire when you right. really really need to and that's kind yeah. of how i am with music equipment if something works for me i'll like you know i've been very blessed with getting a new uh right interface the 4i4 is that uh mm-hmm. yeah that the model and yeah, i think that's the one before that i was using one from a different brand the old school mbox you know Mm-hmm. And I was using that thing oh, yeah. since it came out. And I think I bought a new one in 2011. Yeah. Wow. And it's been since 2011. I just finally changed out a new interface. And I was using it until it, the thing started blinking. Every light on the, <laughs> on the interface kept blinking on, on me and was telling me, like, You're, I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm, <laughs> you got to go buy a new one. So yeah, and I was like, okay. And it's crazy because now... In the, this day and age everyone and their mom is making interfaces mm-hmm. and i've yeah. always liked you know focus right and and using a lot of focus right preamps and one the is the isa430 is one of my favorite preamps and you know that thing has been around since the 80s i've always wanted one and you know just the name focus right to me now is kind of like when you see like you know bmw or mercedes-benz yeah. you know you just know it's right. just great equipment and reliable and yeah. No. Now I got one of those little magical, little red boxes.
1: I think you have a couple of them, don't you? Didn't you get the
0: 18i20 uh, the as well? Yeah, I got a... So with violence right now, we're recording, we're doing all the pre-production. You know, back in the day, doing pre-production, that was having a boombox by your feet with a cassette tape yeah. in it. And you record yeah. it, press record, and then record as a band, and then you listen back to this awful recording. But now with technology, you can make records you can make records in your living room, in your bedroom, in your little studio. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying, you know, records to where you want to put these out, but you can get really Good. close to making an ama- if you That's where the skill set comes in, you know, because mm-hmm. it's all how you use these tools. And if you know how to use them, you can probably make better records than some people that use really big studios. And you get pretty close. And if you're, you know, smart and using... The technology out there, there's so many ways around everything in this day and age. It's really amazing. And I have um the you know, the Big Daddy, the, the eight channel inputs, the the I eight twenty, the twenty mm-hmm. what was it called again? The twenty oh, I eighty? The 18 I twenty. That's the one. That's the one. Sorry. The eighteen I right. twenty and the octopre. Well that's
1: together. right. I forgot yeah. that you got it. So yeah, I got those couple that's together right.
0: and I got sixteen in and i took that into the violence rehearsal room and i was like hey guys let's just start tracking some of these ideas ourselves and they their eyes lit up oh wow you know let's get some microphones let's you know so that's what we did we set up like a little mini recording room in our practice place and i just bring in my laptop and my interfaces and all the mics go in it's it's amazing you know yeah it's not a great room that we have over there it's like a little crappy recording studio but mm-hmm. you know i can just use all the microphones and replace a lot of the drum sounds in uh this program trigger that i use from slate I know, Trigger, and it's yep. amazing I, rec- I replace all the drums i have some amazing drum sounds from terry date he's one of my favorite producers and it's so awesome you can make your demos sound like records kind of getting a glimpse of what it's going to sound like or what it's going to be like and and now in this day and age you can use a lot of these templates from these sessions that you start you know you can keep using them until you're actually in the studio doing the actual recording and then just you know go back and re-record this and re-record that you might be able to keep some of the things you were doing in pre-production that came out amazing or you captured yeah. a vibe or something that it's hard to recreate in the studio because that mm-hmm. happens sometimes, and you're able to use that. Just make amazing... I just go by... It's like making a pizza. You need a really good crust to make a good pizza. You can't make good pizza if you don't have a good crust. If you have the best toppings in the world, and you have a shitty crust, it's still going to be a shitty pizza. And it's kind mm-hmm. of with music, too. for Especially for our band, being on the grit, being on a click track is very important. And once you're on the mm-hmm. click people can come in and redo their parts over and over and over again until everything is, you know, that's, we, when I create a tempo map with all the different tempos and everybody has that tempo map and when they listen to that click, you can hear the song, you know, because Mm -hmm. your song is, when you hear the changes in the tempo map, you can hear the changes in the song and, and then you live with that click track and you put your parts around that click track, everybody comes together. Back in the day when you lay down the drums in a studio, that was it. You can't change them. You lay them down. No. That's not the case anymore. Nope. Now you can go back yeah, you in can move and things. That's the great thing about having, you know, Pro Tools or Logic or any of those recording devices these days. It's
1: Yeah, you can create a grid and quantize to it and
0: exactly and that's what, with violence and you know, we're building a bunch of songs and I already have the singer coming down today. He's gonna lay down some scratch vocals already. And cool. he's more prepared than all of us, which is kind of rare. That's great. As, yeah. as the band yeah. is re- as, uh, rehearsing the songs and getting a piece of them together, he's writing to him already. And by the time the, the band is like, okay, I think we have a rough, he's like, oh, I got lyrics already. I got all my parts. He's that quick. Awesome. So wow. having him on the song early on with all his vocals helps us when we go back, when we do our parts, we're able to record our parts with already vocals, which is great. It helps us it's like a it's a it's a really good guide to know where (laughs) you're at. It helps with the vibe. It's it's Mm -hmm. really cool. Are are you playing guitar or bass in that? I'm playing bass in violence. Yeah. It's funny because I grew up on violence. They were one yeah, they've been around. They've been around for a long time. They were my favorite trash metal band from the Bay Area. They were the most notorious, the most infamous. Mm -hmm. They were probably the least famous band, but they were definitely they had a lot of respect from the other big trash metal bands everybody respected them you know metallic used to wear their shirts live and stuff like that and very cool i mean i used to look at their pictures and wore the same clothing you know the flannels yeah. and the and the long johns underneath the uh the army shorts and all that stuff that was because yeah. of violence and it's funny like you know 35 years you're later on. i'm in the band <laughs> you're in the band That's and crazy. you're recording you're, you're recording the and band i'm recording today. the band so, That's you amazing. know, it's, it's a full circle mm-hmm. and it's really cool. You know, we're making, we're making cool songs and we're signed to metal blade records. We're going to be putting a record on a metal blade nice. and then hopefully we'll do a, a full length EP uh, LP after that.
1: Nice. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what, what you guys do. That sounds
0: really great. We just need to get out of this damn COVID so we can go play shows.
1: <laughs> Man, everybody, everybody <laughs> needs to do that. I've, I miss live music. I know a lot of people put out albums this year and they can't tour to support yeah. their albums. Deathtones is one of we, them.
0: They're going to be putting out a record in September. They've been pushing, pushing back, but they're like, we yeah. have to put it out.
1: Well, and I think it's kind of common knowledge that that's where artists make their money these days is off the tour and the merch and and off of all of that. You know, so yeah, yeah that's uh, one of the things kind of forgotten by most people is, you know, artists are hurting right now too, and it's a good thing you know you have first be- they
0: take away the the making money from actually selling records that goes yeah. out of style that's yep. gone. And then we're left with, Oh, we got to go on tour. That's how we make money because the whole no, internet thing took over, you know, albums and music and you know, the yeah, going, yeah. you don't go to Tower records anymore. That's gone. So no. all of a sudden now we're, all we're left with is playing shows and merch, mm-hmm. you know? So, and then most the, bands don't, don't know, even make money from playing shows. They're only relying on no. making money from their merch. And if you're not big, you're not selling a lot of merch. Mm-hmm. You can barely maybe get gas money <laughs> from yeah. from playing a show yeah. and selling a merch. Oh, we made a, we yeah. sold enough t-shirts tonight we have enough gas money to get to the next show. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the
1: reality. <laughs> I've heard artists tell me that, you know, they'll they'll go on their tour and then they'll end up either breaking even or losing money yeah. because, you know, the artist themselves will take a pay cut just to pay the crew. So the crew gets money, yeah. you know, because they rely on that.
0: And the hall takes 35% on your merch. Oh, That's wow. their merch fee, you know. Oh, you sold See, $100 worth of merch? Well, we'll take $35 of that. Thank you. So now
1: we know why t-shirts are, at concerts are $40. So everybody gets their cut out of it. Well,
0: yeah, because the hall fees are so through ridiculously through the roof. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Christian, before we wrap anyth- everything up here, is there anything we didn't cover? Anything you want to plug that you you have coming up? You want to talk about your projects?
0: Well, we got a violence record that we're working on. Um, projects and stuff that I'm involved with at the moment. Um, we're still doing Power Flow. Mm-hmm. We uh, just got announced on uh, on Hellfest for 2021. Nice. Hopefully next year won't be can- getting canceled either. Um, yeah, so Powerflow, we're making a new record. Violence is making an album. I've also sent two songs into um, John Howard from Arkea and um, we're planning on making some new Arkea songs. So I'm doing that too. And uh, I've always wanted to make some electronic music and been doing some liquid drum and bass. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. And I want to put up, make some songs and uh, it's just you know, such a cool style of music and record some vocals on it and i have some friends that sing so doing that too so yeah there's a lot of music in the works again and because for a little while i was kind of like falling a little off the off the wagon putting we're gonna put all these records out hopefully this year next year and then hopefully by then this whole covid thing will be a done deal so everybody can go back on the road and we can start promoting these albums and go tour and that's the big, uh, the big plan. I really appreciate your time here on the Focusrite Pro podcast.
1: I've really enjoyed this as a fan of the music that you've created throughout the years. Christian, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. We'll see you soon and uh, keep making great music. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focusrite Pro podcast. This mostly bi-monthly podcast is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for right Music is by Merlin. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at Focusrite Pro. For more information, please visit our website at www.pro.focusright.com
0: It was like colors, like how you're a painter everybody paints but everybody yeah. paints a lot of different styles and different not artwork it's so the variety is really. so wide not really. Not really. It's something I said for years and years music is not like really. food and really. it's something you need every day really. but you don't need pasta every day you know you get bored.